everyone, welcome to the I Dare You podcast. I'm glad you're here. This podcast is all about you and helping you reach the big goals that you have for your life. And what next steps do you want to take to get there? And I'm your host, Darren Johnson. If you're new to the show, welcome to the room. I am glad you're here. I'm glad you found us. Welcome to episode 83. We're joined by Tom Kirsting. The name may sound familiar, and it should, because he is a nationally renowned psychotherapist, family therapist, and parenting expert. And he's gifted at unpacking the challenges that teens face today, including isolation from friends and family, increased screen time, can you relate, and a steady stream of fear-based media. And he helps parents guide them toward better mental health and life success. Tom is also the author of several best-selling books, Disconnected, How to Protect Your Kids from the Harmful Effects of Device Dependency, and his latest book, Raising Healthy Teenagers, came out earlier this year. He's also a regular guest on many television news and talk shows, and he offers sharp insights and advice about parenting, relationships, and wellness. He has hosted shows on A&E Network, Food Network, and Oprah's Wellness Network, Tom is also the founder and owner of Valley Family Counseling Center in Park Ridge, New Jersey. So now, what can you expect to learn? I think you're going to get a whole different take on the challenges that that teens are facing today and how parents and grandparents, it's time to step up. Now, if you're a teenager or young adult that has come of age since 2012, I'm inviting you to be open to what you're going to be hearing. I say it's time to meet Tom Kirsting and get into this conversation. It's one you're going to remember you're probably going to want to share it with a lot of people in your life who matter to you. Welcome to episode 83. Here, everyone, is Tom Kirsting. Tom, welcome to the podcast. It's good having you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Okay, Tom. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I was traveling over the weekend. I had a chance to read your, your latest book, Raising Healthy Teenagers. Blew my mind. I'm a little concerned. I was concerned before about what's happening but now I'm really concerned about what's happening with teenagers and this, what's happening in this society. We're going to go deep into this book and some questions. Before I go there, though, you are a psychotherapist. And tell me, how did you land in this career field and your vocation? So it's very interesting, actually. I'm glad you asked that question. So I kind of stumbled into college. Okay, so my parents got married when they were 19 and 20, had four kids by 25. Neither of them had the opportunity to, uh, to go to college. So I didn't really know anything about it, but I had a good right arm. I was a good baseball player. So I stumbled into a local college here. They recruited me to go pitch. I didn't really care about school uh, so much. And I cared more about baseball. And then, um, you know, so I started out as a criminal justice major just because I had a major in something. And then late sophomore year, I hit a major pitching slump, like totally lost the strikes on. And then I went and saw a sports psychologist for a couple of sessions to get my mind back. And I knew nothing about it. And it transformed everything. And after that, I changed my major to psychology. And then the rest is history. Went out to graduate school, worked in public high school for 25 years, been doing private practice for 23, uh, you know, lecturing, writing books. And it's uh, just something I'm passionate about, the human condition and human behavior and human psychology. You know, a recent guest I just had on here, his name was Raymond Pryor. He's a uh, PhD, and he does a lot of performance psychology type consulting for, for athletes. And I, I was just blown away at the power that the brain, I mean, I always know the brain is obviously mindset and, and, and such, but unless you have that mind right, it impacts everything in your life, doesn't it? hundred percent. So when I, you know, as a therapist, you know, what I tell people, I deal with a lot of teenagers, obviously, you know, families and so forth. 
And I tell people, so when people are coming with anxiety issues, depression, you know, low self-esteem, I try to explain to them that your, your emotions are really a symptom of thought. Okay. And then the big question is, well, what is thought and where do our thoughts come from? So if you and I were born on a deserted island, what would we even think? Right. What would we wouldn't even know what Zoom is? We wouldn't know what a podcast is. Right. <laughs> so you look at the world, you know, the, of our children now, they're living eight, nine, they're living their entire lives on a different planet called the cyber world. Yeah. And they are just ingesting constant, never ending content into that mind that shapes their thoughts and shapes their emotions. You know, that reminds me because in your book, you, you tell in the very beginning, you talked about the eighties and it had me really feeling nostalgic about what it was like growing up in the eighties and what that whole atmosphere was like. And, and then you, you said also in the book, you mentioned that in 2012, everything changed in what way did everything change for uh, young adults, teenagers growing up? So starting in 2012, right, is when we saw the beginning of the monumental mental health decline uh, and the suicide rate go up. Okay. So it continue in young people yeah. and it continues. We have a mental health epidemic now. Right. And, and the timing is no coincidence because 2012 is when smartphones became mainstream. When, when kids just about every kid started having a, a smartphone in their pocket. And when you look at all the data, all the studies, you know, it all shows that since that time um, and it just continues to get pervasively worse you know, we're, 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 it's a losing battle, you know, for our, for our youth and, um, you know, with their devices and their screens and so forth. And it's, you know, stripping them from society, from being outside and, and socializing and being emotional beings and, you know, filling their minds with a lot of not so great stuff. And, and as a result, you know, it just makes sense where we're at right now. You know, I remember I graduated in 1985 and at that time, I, it was a small school, Tom, 30, my graduating class was 30. And I remember even then the, the, I guess, the social pressure. I honestly, Tom, cannot imagine what it is like for these teenagers today growing up in this, in this world. Do you think I'm overstating it? No, you're not. I mean, I lecture all over the country um, on a topic of my previous book, which is called Disconnected. It's all about screen time and so forth. Uh, and I've been doing that lecture for many, many years. And, you know, when I'm speaking, I speak to parents, I speak to kids and so forth. And, um, you know, what I really try to, to convey to the kids is that it, when, when they're getting these phones and social media at 10, 11 years old, that's the average age now. Um, wow. you're, yeah, you're, you're looking when you're looking at pre-adolescence and adolescence, just by nature, those are very challenging, um, you know, stages of life, you know, for young kids, they're changing, they're going through puberty, they're trying to f- figure out where they fit in. So it's always been riddled with insecurity, right? Now you layer in this comparison culture, right? And yeah. this, you know, uh, you know, highlight reel everybody's putting out on Instagram, TikTok, and it really, and it just adds another layer of, of that insecurity for these young kids because they're now comparing themselves to everybody else. They think their life stinks compared to everybody else. And it's really just yeah. the snowball effect. I can't imagine, you know, in, in your book, you talk about how this is according to Cohen's research. It's estimated that an average American child spends just four to seven minutes a day in unstructured outdoor play and over seven hours a day indoors in front of a screen. And you, you don't pull any punches. You make the direct correlation between, you know, exercise and getting outside and better mental health. Again, you're, you're not, you're not mincing words. Can you, can you back that up? Yeah. So, you know, research, and again, my book is loaded with, uh, you know, with citations and so forth to support everything that I talk about anecdotally. Um, When you look at it, you know, this recent generation of kids play 
is down 70%. All right. Oh. So being outside and playing, think of younger kids, right? Is that's a child's natural habitat. That is where a child is going to learn the skills of how to deal with what it means to be a human being, right? The kid takes the ball away from you, you scrape your knee, you know, handling adversity, right? And plus just being in nature, we call it, you know, replacing green, uh, replacing screen time with green time. Yeah. Every time kids outside playing, you know, it uh, releases something like 3000 genes in the cortex part of their brain. And that's the part of the brain that shapes them socially. So for, for kids, you know, becoming social beings, connecting with others, being able to go when you graduate college, being able to go on that job interview, you know, and just blow these people away. Those are learned skills. Those are not things that you're born with. And the only way to learn those is through experience. And if kids are inside all day long, um, you know, looking at a screen, they are not developing those critical skills that they are going to need later on in life. Yeah. But how did we, how did we get here? And maybe, let me ask it a little more pointedly. How did COVID-19 impact parents and also kids? Yeah, well, let me put it this way. So COVID, like some people will always say, wow, you know, COVID, COVID triggered this major, you know, mental health crisis. Uh, COVID did not. The mental health crisis is already there. COVID accelerated it. Interesting. So now you took a child, right, removed from school, and now their bedroom becomes their bedroom and their classroom, right? Uh, parents removed from society. And when you're looking at our children, what were they now doing even more of when they were at home all day long for that one or two year period during COVID? They're now in front of their screens even more. And one thing I'm seeing now, uh, Darren, is um, that I've never seen before is a major increase in oppositional defiant behavior. Really? Yeah. And I, and I point that out in the book, and I believe it's a lot of it has to do with, you know, what is the, everything's caught on camera now, right? Mm -hmm. Every single bad event, shooting, mugging, carjacking, violence, right? And that stuff funnels right through social media immediately. And our kids are just consuming this stuff. Constantly, they become desensitized to it. It almost seems normal now to to kind of act in a in a in a bad way like that. Um, and I'm seeing it left and right at my private practice with kids just you know cursing out their parents, punching holes in the bedroom wall. Um, I just did I did a couple of TV segments this week, you know about that actually, um, you know about this violence in our society and and how it's almost become normalized. And it's because you know what is thought. We talked about that earlier. Whatever we are consuming constantly, you know. Um, sort of cements itself and normalizes itself in our minds. And this yeah. is what's happening to our children. Mm. You know, I was reading a, uh, a study. It was a 2022 study. I believe it was the, this is called the Digital Industry Study. And here's the data that I have, and you confirm it or you can challenge back on it. Young women, 16 to 24, are on social media three hours and 28 minutes a day. And average, uh, all of us, are on two hours and 26 minutes a day on social media. And I just, I look at that and now with that seven hours of screen time with the other stat that we talked about and I shake my head and I, by the way, I'm a consumer of it. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm on there a lot too. That constant feeding of the violence and the uh, sexuality, and I can keep going down the list that has to influence how the brain is hardwired. And could you piece it together from a psychotherapist standpoint? Yeah. So that research that you just discussed, I'm aware of that, right? So uh, three hours plus a day in that age group. And that same study that came out, 30% um, of the kids in that age group are on social media almost constantly, oh non almost constantly nonstop. Yeah. So of course it shapes the brain. It's called neuroplasticity. So here's a perfect example. Okay. So about a year and a half, two years ago, a story came out where there were um, tons and tons of teenage girls um, going to their pediatricians 
because they had developed motor tics, reminiscent of somebody that has uh, Tourette syndrome. Okay, um, and the doctors had never seen anything like this before. Why? Why are all these girls? Why do they all have these motor tics? Right. So it, here in the UK and another country, the doctors, you know, crunched together the data, and they came and they discovered what the common denominator was. All of those girls developing these involuntary motor tics had been watching hours and hours of TikTok videos of people who have Tourette syndrome. All right. No. So essentially, yeah, yeah. So essentially, just from constantly consuming that, um, the brain began to mimic the behavior of those people with, with Tourette syndrome. So you want to talk about how malleable and how how powerful the human brain is? Think about that one for a moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So now the, you go, I mean, I, look, I'm trying not to sound like a the crotchety old man here or, or sound like my dad, but here goes. When I was uh, growing up, the priority in school, one of them was the, I think it was called the presidential physical fitness exam. And I tell you what, it was a big deal. It was a little bit of a stressor for all of us to see how, if we could run and we could do a pull up, if we could do all those things. And, and it was really a priority. It felt like it anyway. In your, in your book, you, you talk about it again. I commend you. you. You just go right after it. You talk about the benefits of exercise and then how that impacts mental health. Tell me a little bit more about, about that. Uh, how does exercise play a role in this overall picture? Yeah, so the human being, you know, we are by nature hunters and gatherers right, through evolution. So we are required to be moving. So our brain cannot function optimally if we're not moving on a daily basis, exercise in particular, right? So every time an individual <clears throat> exercises, um, you know, it releases powerful endorphins in the brain. So I tell kids all the time, um, you know, there's research that shows that, you know, cardiovascular exercise is scientifically proven to be more effective for treating symptoms of anxiety and depression than medication is, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's wow. the, and, you know, and I talk in the book too, I refer to, um, I think it was Daniel Pink's, uh, I forget whose book it was. I think it was called Blink maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, but he, but he did it, you know, like in Naperville, uh, wherever that is, Ohio, I think, uh, a high school there uh, a number of years ago initiated a, a comprehensive physical fitness program, not like physical education, like actual kids got heart rate monitors, they had bikes in the classroom if a kid was in a bad mood. And interestingly, what happened after that year, that the test scores at Naperville High School, the math test scores in particular, which were just on par with every other school mm -hmm. skyrocketed. And I think we're number one in the country they attributed <laughs> it just from getting these kids active, you know, cause kids today are sedentary. Yeah. You know, they're sitting around they're in front of a screen. We have a childhood obesity epidemic out there that people really don't know about. And it's right. unhealthy. You know, I was talking to someone uh, recently, it was a podcast guest and in all fairness now she was um, in her past, she had a eating disorder. She was very open about it when she was talking about obesity and her fixation on body image. And from your world and your data, what do you think on that? How, how, much, how much trouble are we in with obesity? Yeah, I think, I believe the statistic right now, I have it in the book, is uh, I think adults are 70% or are, are overweight. Um, and right now, you know, for children, um, the amount, if you, if, what you got to do is just go back and look at like photos from like the 1940s and 50s. Yeah. Right? And, you know, of people on beaches and stuff, and you're not going to see, you know, that many overweight people. Now, no matter where you go, it seems like the majority, almost the majority of people are overweight. You know, so this obesity, so your BMI, so if you're overweight, it means you have a BMI between 21 and 29. If you have a BMI or body mass index of 30 or over, you're considered obese. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's, it's perfect praying ground too for, for fast food industry, because, you know, they've always spent billions of dollars marketing through TV ads. But now they're, they're marketing through social media 
you know, directed towards children, right? Yes. All this fast food and so forth. And it's really the perfect storm. And you got all this, you know, the portion distortion and just the accessibility of unhealthy foods. And we do, yeah. And and the bottom line is we have, you know, an an overweight and obesity epidemic, you know, among adults and kids in our society. Well, I remember in the book, in fact, I wrote it down, 1984, the percent of obese teens, I believe it was teens, 1.5%. Today, it's 22%. And I'm thinking about back in 1984, uh, oh my gosh, we were eating, we weren't eating clean. We weren't eating, uh, we weren't watching ingredient decks. We were eating tombstone pizzas and, you know, just horrible. The difference was we were more active. We were moving all the time. Piece that together for me. Yeah, that was me, 1980s. We were outside all the time, riding our bikes everywhere, playing sports. Our parents had to drag us inside. Now parents <laughs> kick the kids outside. Yes. So that really revs up a person's metabolism, like daily being active, running around, which is what kids are supposed to do. And I, you know, same with me. I was a skinny kid. I'm still, in, you know, I work out every day. I'm in great shape now. Um, but as a skinny twig kid, I'd eat McDonald's all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? But the difference was that, you know, the, 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 the portions were not what they are now, like a large you know, soda back then was 16 ounces. Now it's like 64 ounces. You go to one of those places. So it's really the perfect storm. Kids are not outside running around. They're inside, you know, and their, their metabolism, metabolism is not operating. Um, and they're consuming, you know, just endless amounts of bad food. I mean, just, you know, I I take long trips every now and then, you know, I got to go like drive down, visit my son at college and literally every single exit is a fit. There's multiple fast food restaurants feels like there's just a lot of kids who are just carrying a lot of extra weight. And I was wondering, how did that happen? I think we just answered the question. Part of it is a sedentary lifestyle, very little exercise, poor eating habits. Am I missing anything? No, I mean, it's a, that's that's the perfect formula right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. the reverse of that is more exercise, healthier eating and moderate portions is going gonna, is gonna, is gonna to cause normal weight. All right. So now, um, what can parents do on this? And are parents equipped? Are parents ready for this? Yeah, they have to be. Um, you know, it's time for, for for us to all step up, I believe. Um, you know, the good thing about uh, Raising Healthy Teenagers, my book, is that every chapter, the end of every chapter, there are very simple tips for parents. Um, and they're not very complicated. You know, for example, <laughs> you, know, the, the, you know, screen time, like, what do I do about screen time? Well, pretty much every teenager, you know, li- the phone lives in the bedroom with them overnight. Right? And that's tip number one. I mean, we have a... Um, you know, teens nowadays, they're, they're, we have a sleep deprivation epidemic now because they're up till one, two, three o'clock in the morning on school nights because the phone is in the bedroom with them. Yeah. So what parents need to do, if you have young kids that already have phones, you know, set, this, set the parameters now. And if your kids are older teens and have had the phone in their bedroom, you're going to have to step in, dig your heels in and get that thing out of there at night because it's just, you know, it's sucking them dry of sleep and that, you know, a sleep deprived kid that alone is going to is going to enhance depression, anxiety, falling behind in school, overweight, all that stuff. So yeah, you do give some practical tips, and these are not these are not difficult. Uh, I'm looking at one right now. Teach your children delayed gratification. I, I don't know where we walked into that, but that is that's as a parent, it's tough though. Tom is, I've been guilty of this. Give your kids everything because you can. You want them to do better than than than, than you did. And if I could go back in time, and by the way, my kids are, they're, they're grown, they're good citizens, they're good kids. But if I could go back in time and do it over again, <laughs> I would have embraced delayed gratification uh, in a big, big way. So of all the things you could have put in the book, though, what's your view? Delayed gratification. Why is this, why, why'd you put it in the book? Well, you know, you think about our society, everything, we, we, we hit a button right now and you have whatever you want. 
DoorDash will deliver food to you. you hit a button. Um, baseball mitts delivered the next day. So we have so much abundance and accessibility. And despite ha having more access to more things than any other generation, our generation is unhappier than any other generation. Yeah. It's like when I was a kid, I remember you know, my parents didn't have much, you know, uh, my dad had to work a whole bunch of different jobs. I had four kids by 25, like I mentioned. Sure. So I remember, you know, I, I talk about it in the book. You know, I loved baseball and I didn't have a, a baseball glove. And my uncle had like an old crusty mitt that, that like was you know, out in the rain too long. And I had to break that thing back in and I used that oh. baseball glove, you know, because it wasn't like, all right, let's just go get you a new glove. Our parents couldn't do that. Right. And I think part of, you know, the problem is with accessibility and with all this abundance, when we just shower our kids with everything they want, when they want it, they become entitled yes. and they expect those things. And by delaying gratification, you know, they, they'll learn to understand that you don't always get what you want in life when you want it. And that, you know, you need, to, if you want to succeed in life, you need to put some effort and, and work towards what you want. Yes. Yeah. You and I might, you and I might be brothers. I, I tell yeah. you what, because I, again, I, I was back in Minnesota over the weekend visiting my mom and dad, and we were just talking about, we were just sharing stories. And in high school, when basketball season came around, we had to buy our own basketball shoes. And, um, we just there's just no money for the shoes. So I would mow lawns to save up enough money for some cheaper shoes. But even even a, a kid uh, that was on our team, Pete, didn't have any money. And so I kid you not, he played basketball in his church dress shoes. I'm not kidding you. I mean, he was slipping all over the floor. But my point is, there was just no money for this. And there was just no opportunity to say, hey, on your way back from Starbucks, swing by Dick's Sporting Goods and pick up a $180 pair of you know, basketball shoes. That wasn't yeah. it. Yeah, I, know. I know. It's crazy, right? I know. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Now listen. So as you're laying this out, I, 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 what's on my mind is it's pretty clear to me and the science would back this up that more exercise, less screen time, I can keep going more sleep. These are the things that can help with better mental health. It's backed up by science and your book reinforces that. Well then for crying out loud, why are we not talking more about this? Why is there not a a presidential address? Why is there not a special meeting of Congress? Why is there not something that says, hey, guys, we've got a problem. Here's what the science says. And now let's everyone rally around us. Let's help our kids. Why is that not happening? I know it's a naive question. Well, I think a lot, you know, it's because, you know, big tech is a very, very powerful industry. <clears throat> big tech. And so is big pharma. And, you know, you're, you're trying to take on a beast, you know, so if politicians are going to try to take on you know, big tech, they're going to they're going to lose out in terms of money that are, that's donated to their campaigns and so forth. That's what I think. You know, I mean, this is pretty clear, all this stuff. The good news is that the attorney general last week, and I did a, a TV segment about this as well last week, uh, you know, just came out and, and, and did say something like, you know, we need to do something about social media here because our kids are, you know, are, it's killing our kids here. I mean, that's the yes. bottom line. And, the, and particularly the algorithm. You know, like, for example, like, you know, TikTok, I mean, that's the dangers on those algorithms. You type in, you know, like, let's say a young girl types in, you know, um, anorexia, right, and wants to see a video on it. Within minutes, that individual is getting, getting bombarded because the algorithms are like crawlers. They go in there and they sift through everything in minutes, all the millions of videos and just and narrow them down to what it thinks you're interested in. And that's why we have, you know, that's why there's an eating disorder problem right now. And uh you know, Facebook, who owns Instagram, did, did their own internal study like a couple of years ago, and it showed that Instagram was actually causing young girls to develop eating disorder disorders. And then they tried to bury the story. But then a whistleblower came out 
and yeah. you know, revealed it and 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 here we are yeah so you know total problem tom when when i was growing up in a small town in minnesota for example the sports illustrated swimsuit edition would would show up in march of every year and it was like the earth was shaking all the young guys just couldn't believe it it was like it was a big big deal in other words there wasn't there was not a lot of access to that or yeah. even to pornography. I, I can tell you, I won't even mention, the, <laughs> mention his name, but a buddy of mine had an old Playboy. And yeah. that was like the thing as a young young boy. It's like, oh my gosh, it just wasn't, wasn't around. But when you did see it, it was just like, oh, good grief. There's a story in your book that really haunted me. It was about a young woman who had a phone when she was you know, younger, 11 years old. And one of the one of the one of the things that she had access to, of course, was violence, but also pornography, yeah. hardcore porn. What what are you seeing in your practice as far as the access to porn and how that's impacting young men and young women? It, I mean, it just can't be. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. So people always ask me, you know, in lecturing and stuff, you know, what is, you know, the right age to get my child a smartphone? And you know what my answer is? When you feel comfortable with them watching pornography. Yeah. There so that's go. the problem. You know, you take a young boy. I mean, I, I, I live the same thing. I mean, we, I remember, you know, we were 12, 13 years old, ride our, like me and my cousin, Paul, we ride, rode our bikes up to this, you know, candy store and you go into candy store and you see all the, you know, the dirty magazines and you didn't want right. to go pick them up. Right. And then I remember, uh, you know, we went to the back by the dumpster, hoping that there would be some. And it was, <laughs> I forgot there, about that. I did that too. Stacked, there were stacks of them that they were throwing out. We thought we hit the, the jackpot. You know what I mean? And that's the way it was. But now, you know, because of course you're a young kid, you're going through puberty and, you know, all that stuff is fascinating. Right. But now it's just, you know, you give a kid a phone when they're 12 years old and some provocative image shows up, they're going to click on it. And they're going to get dragged down a rabbit hole. And as a result, we have, you know, I haven't seen much of this, but just some of the research I've done, we have you know, like young generation, you know, young men that are like in their early twenties, you know, have like erectile dysfunction and stuff because of constantly consuming all that stuff. And like even relate relationships with real women, you know, aren't or there's not as much of that stuff going on, and marriage is being wow. delayed. Yeah, and it's because of the bombardment of all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I've re read some research on that because the brain then is it's used to seeing the images. It's used to seeing that as opposed to a real, a real live relationship and human touch and interaction and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So malleable, it's you know, it's kind of like plastic. If you melt plastic, hard plastic, you could shape it. Yeah. So the brain is also very shapeable. You know, depending on what you're con consuming the most of, the brain will sort of. Um, will identify with that and it will wow. start to become that and believe that just like those TikTok girls. You know, if you could wave your magic wand, uh, what, what are, what are just three things that, that you would love to see happen? Yeah. You know what, first and foremost, so I'm not a big fan of the government, you know, being involved in every single yeah. thing we do in life. In this case, however, I would love to see the government or, you know, Congress or, or whatever, uh, set, set a law that does not allow a child under the age of 17 to have a smartphone. Wow. Age gating this. Why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah because, it, because they're too young. You know, like when you're 17, you're a little bit more, your brain is more developed. You're a little bit more responsible, a little bit more mature. But when you get kids from 10, 11, 12, right through 17, that have just been, you know, totally bombarded and consumed in this stuff. By the time they're 17, the damage has been done. You know, wow. that's number one. And I think another thing that I'd like to see more of is I'd like to see parents you know, practice what they're preaching to their kids. And that is putting down their own phones and actually spending time with our, with our kids, we, you know, uh, bringing back family dinner when the kids are in, in, the, in the passenger seat and we're driving them to school, don't allow them to have the phone, 
you know, all that stuff is so important. So the, the actual relationship, I talk about this a lot, the actual relationship that a child and parent have, okay, is probably the most important thing to the child's mental health outcomes. And what is a, rela a relationship can't be the kids up in the bedroom, dad's, uh, you know, a, a, in his office doing his thing and mom's yeah. doing her thing on her device. That's not what a relationship is. A relationship is being with one another, doing things together, having meaningful, meaningful conversations. So I'd like to see those two things, you know, right off the bat, those three things, really. Well, those are things, though, I mean, there's some things that are, that are yeah, they're a little bit more out of our control, uh, you know, as far as these bigger macro things, we can vote the right way and such. But as parents and grandparents, there are specific things that we can start doing immediately, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, it's very simple. You know, it, uh, like I said, pull the phone out of the bedroom, make sure our kids get a good night's sleep. You know, bring in food that's healthier. You know, yeah. don't you know, let our kids have a treats here, here and there. That's fine. You know, and uh, yeah, and and just practice what we preach and sit down and be with our kids and and um, you know yeah. teach them morals and values and spirituality and you know all the important things. Yeah. Well, okay, Tom. Uh, listen, the the this book is incredible. I mentioned to I read it on the flight, and uh, it just it's just jam packed with yes anecdotes, but also a lot of science, a lot of sources. And so I commend you for this. What would you hope that someone would think or do differently as a result of reading this this book, Raising Healthy Teenagers? So I think what, you know, first and foremost, any parent or grandparent that reads this, and it's not just for teenagers, parents of younger kids as well. It's going to really, it's going to, a light bulb is going to go off for any parent that reads all this. And then they'll be like, holy cow. Okay. Oh my God. I cannot, you know, I never really thought of it to this, to this level. And now I'm empowered to start making some changes in my household. And that's, that's the whole goal here. And it goes, you know, the book goes to a lot of different things, even like the college admissions and all the pressure with that um, towards the end and to what's going on in schools. So, you know, it's really kind of covers all the basis of what our children are confronted with nowadays and how we can navigate that minefield so that our kids don't step on those landmines. The oldest is 30, 32, sorry. <laughs> and, and so she kind of grew up on the tail end of, you know, of uh, the social smartphones and things. But my youngest, she grew up with the smartphone. And there again, I mean, I'm not alone in saying this. Our family really wrestled with some of these types of issues of that you're talking about, anxiety. and. Uh, if I could do it over again, I would have I would have uh, educated that phone. That that phone, I, I do I I didn't I was not tough love enough on that phone, and I really paid the price. Our family did because of some of the things that that we're talking about. So to all parents and grandparents who are out there, you've got young kids; they're becoming you know preteens and teens. I, I'm just telling you from a dad who went through it: step up to the plate. You are going to do them a huge favor. If you're concerned about their mental health and their well-being, you got to step into this. You cannot, you cannot be complacent on this because behind that closed bedroom door, there's a lot going on. And Tom, this is your life. You see it day in and day out. Yeah. And, you know, real quick before we go, um, you know, when it, all the lectures I do, I'm, like I said, I travel all over the place. I've never had a parent come up to me and say the best thing I ever did was get my kid a smartphone. Yeah. <laughs> I've had countless parents come up to me and say the worst mistake I ever made was getting my kid a smartphone. Yeah. And by the way, where, where should we go to follow you and to learn more about the great work you're doing? You have Disconnected is another book that you wrote and Raising Healthy Teenagers. Where should we go to follow you and learn more? Yeah, my website. You know, I don't really do too much, you know what I mean, to be honest with you. Like, I, I don't, I'm not out there going crazy on social media. You know, I have people telling me, like, you know, people I've hired to marketing. And they go, <laughs> I just don't want to. I, you know, it's just not what I'm interested in. I have no problem doing traditional media. 
you know, if I have something, but, you know, you can go to my website. Uh, um, it's uh, tomkirsting.com or just Google me. There's millions of TV interviews and, and yeah. stuff, you know, uh, podcasts I've done. So, all right, Tom, at the end of each podcast, I ask my guest, what is your I dare you challenge for all of us? Something that we might try or do to help us get a little closer to our goals in life. So you would dare all of us to do what? What do you think? You know what I would dare everybody to do? All right, and something that I live by is sitting, and this is parents and, and passing, and the parents listening, passing this down to your kids, is <clears throat> sit in silence every day for the next month for 15 minutes without any distractions. Sit in silence. We are, we are a completely distracted 24 hours a day society. And when we go into the silence, which is going to, the first time you do it, you're going to feel like you're going crazy. But when you stick with it, you, you, you discover something that you didn't even know existed. And it's called self. So it's deep within us, the silence, right? That's where all, that's the, the rest of the iceberg. And our kids don't know who they are. When I ask the question, who are you? I get their first name. And deep within us, we are loaded with all the goods, confidence, motivation, spirituality, love, empathy, and so forth. But if we're never in the silence, never within, and we're always without living externally, then we, we can't we can't access those goodies. It's a great I Dare You challenge. So I say, everybody, let's do it. Let's try it. Tom, th thank you again for being on the I Dare You podcast. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I, I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Okay, that was Tom Kirsting. What an opportunity that was to talk to a world-renowned psychotherapist on issues that really matter, what teens are going through and parents and grandparents, pretty important stuff. What are you going to do with it? Now's the time, everyone. Parents, grandparents, step into the fight. Our, our young people need us right now, and you know they do. And for some reason, we all kind of just hang back. I think it's time to break through and to step into the role of being parent and grandparent because we love our kids and our grandkids. We don't even know half of what they're dealing with right now on these mobile phones. And uh, let's step into it. Let's help them. Now as you listen, who are you going to share this with? Could be parents and grandparents in your lives. It could be your kids. By the way, my youngest daughter, she's 25. She's a psychology degree, getting her master's in psychology. She was blown away by this interview and by the data that was given. She grew up with this technology and doesn't know a world without it. Uh, but she was blown away by it in a really good way. So whoever you're thinking of right now, young adults, teens, send it to them and invite them to listen to it and invite them to have an open mind to it. You may reframe how they're thinking about the inputs going into their mind. Also help them know that in this digital world with all the, all the things coming at them, they're not alone. Also follow us on Instagram at I Dare you Pod. This community there is a lot of fun. So many of you are already there. If not, at I Dare you Pod, exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. Best way to communicate with me, I try to get back to as many, well, I'm pretty good at it actually, about getting back to everyone who's direct messaging me. And so keep that coming. It's great to see you there. So yeah, join us at I Dare You Pod. I'll meet you there. And get ready next week for another episode, another great conversation and a killer guest. And it all happens again next week, Tuesday morning on the I Dare You Podcast. I'll see you there.